0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Spooniepreneur podcast. I'm Nicole Mier, an ex-social worker turned CEO of a virtual support agency. My passion is helping those of us living with chronic illness to see how entrepreneurship can help us pay the bills, find a sense of purpose, and build a flexible life that allows us to balance it all. On this podcast, I'm talking with business owners from all walks of life to learn how they're running their businesses. I'm also going to take you behind the scenes into how I run a six figure business while living with fibromyalgia, bipolar disorder, irritable bowel syndrome, and anxiety. If you are a spooniepreneur or thinking about starting a business, you are in the right place. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Spooniepreneur podcast. As I promised a few weeks ago, this year we are gonna be talking more about the experience of living with mental health disorders. And that's why I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation I just had with Bob Krulish. Bob coaches individuals afflicted with, and their supporters who are affected by mental illness. He specializes in cases involving bipolar disorder and in cases where the ill individual is in strict denial of their illness. He holds a certification from the Copeland Center to teach their wellness recovery action plan course. He also teaches the In Our Own Voice program in Washington State through the National Alliance on Mental Illness or NAMI. Additionally, Bob is certified through Dr. Xavier Amador's Leap Institute to teach their program based on the book, I Am Not Sick, I Don't Need Help. In addition, Bob lives with bipolar disorder, and we were able to have a really open and honest discussion about what it looks like to live well with bipolar disorder. As Bob and I talk about, I feel like a lot of people, when they hear bipolar disorder, they think of Famous celebrities like Britney Spears or Charlie Sheen or Kanye West who have bipolar disorder and very kind of openly go through mania and then crash back into depression. And a lot of people, they think of that extreme high and that extreme low, when in reality most people living with bipolar disorder, once they're on the right meds, once they have a great therapist, once they're able to learn some coping skills, are really able to live great lives. And so I cannot wait for you to hear the work that Bob's doing in the world to help people help people who have bipolar disorder and other mental illnesses, because I think that it's really going to shine a light on what it actually looks like to live with this disorder. So let's just dive right in. Hey, everybody. I am here today with Bob Krulich. How are you today, Bob?
1: I'm doing great, Nicole. Thank you for asking.
0: Well, we're so glad to have you on the show. And you have an amazing story to share with people. So let's just kick off our conversation with you telling people a little bit about who you are and the work that you're doing in the world.
1: Okay, great. Thank you. So I have, um, my life story is around bipolar disorder. I became symptomatic when I was about 16, Mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of people that have bipolar, gets triggered somewhere in our late teens, early 20s. And nobody recognized that I had bipolar. As a matter of fact, not until I was 51. So I went 35 years undiagnosed, mm-hmm. untreated, bipolar, holy right. moly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's like a volcano going off every yeah. other day. And so I I somehow managed to uh, pull myself together long enough to have a bit of a life. I was able to finish college when I was in my 30s. I, I, I failed out of college when I was in my 20s because of a manic episode and um, I got married and I have four children and five grandchildren right now. Then that not all ended uh, just before I got diagnosed. I, the, the marriage ended after 24 years, lost custody of the children, lost access to the children, gave away all my money. I don't know why I did that, but I gave it all away because in my manic episode, I just thought I'd. Make it back. You know, here's a few mm-hmm. million dollars. What's the problem? I'll make mm-hmm. this back in six months. And that was literally what I was thinking when I gave it all away to my ex wife until I'm living on the floor of an old hundred year old cabin, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> homeless, <laughs> on, them, on just a mattress, not a box spring, not a frame, just a mattress on this hardwood floor. And I lived that way for like two years before I got myself back. And then after getting diagnosed and going through about 60 med changes now over the past um, 11 years now, I guess it is, and about 700 hours of therapy, <laughs> I've gotten to know myself pretty well. And I've figured it out. I, I have figured it, I, I figured out what works for me. And in the last several years, I got b- b- well enough to go start speaking for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Mm NAMI as one of their inner own voice speakers and I've done that about 80 times now and I'm a state trainer for the state of Washington and um, in that what ended up happening was that I would give a give a a lecture of some sort or a talk and I would have parents come up and ask me if I would coach them Mm -hmm. and I wasn't a coach I didn't even really know what a coach did so, I had to go look up what a coach did, you know that night, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I'll take your name and number, and I'll let you know." And after several of these people asking me, I decided to start coaching. So I've been coaching for about three years to parents. Um, in particular, I work with parents whose son or daughter is an adult son or daughter that refuses to take their meds because they are seemingly in denial, and mm-hmm. I teach parents how to communicate with them in a way that the son or daughter chooses to take meds for other reasons besides their illness Mm -hmm. that get them goals that they want in their life, like a job, for example. Mm -hmm. So it ends up where some people are taking their job meds, you know, not their bipolar meds. Mm -hmm. and so it's been very rewarding it takes a while i I work with parents usually for about 12 weeks and then um they're at least able to have a good conversation with their son or daughter about about how the meds could help them get other goals Mm
0: -hmm. and so
1: it's pretty rewarding i've been doing that like i said for the past three years and that's my journey yeah
0: So let's go back and talk about diagnosis, because I know for many people, you know, we are sick for way longer than, you know, we can kind of look back and, and say, oh, yeah, that was definitely mania. That was definitely bipolar depression, but it's not recognized. So. Tell me about what it actually took to get you a diagnosis and how you reacted to the word bipolar once you got the diagnosis.
1: (laughs) That's a great, that's, that's really took a lot, took a lot because as you, as you may know, uh, I'm sure you do when people are in mania, they never go see the doctor Mm -hmm. because I'm smarter than the doctor. Yeah. In mania, the only difference between me and God is that God never thought he was
0: me. <laughs> That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I would never go see a doctor if I thought I was God. Um the circumstance had it. I, I was getting divorced. My my wife for 24 years kicked me out of the house and I was kind of circumstantially uh depressed about the divorce and about losing the kids and the access and all that kind of stuff and sleeping on the floor of an abandoned cabin mm-hmm. i was but i still was manic and i was manic for three i was in a bad manic mood for three years because my gp put me on on a antidepressant mm. and if you're on an antidepressant without a mood stabilizer and you happen to have oh, yeah. bipolar you know what happens. It puts mm-hmm. you in the mania. So I'm in this sustained state for like three years because I'm just taking the Zoloft. But I never go back to the doctor and tell her I'm feeling mm-hmm. better. I just keep wanting to take the Zoloft because I think it's, it's right. what's fueling this great, mm-hmm. right? So I call in the prescription. I say, yeah, it's really helping. Keep, keep filling it up. Right. And so I kept taking it. And um, so now I'm in, I go see a therapist about my divorce and I'm situationally kind of depressed, but I'm in a mixed episode. I'm situationally mm-hmm. depressed, but I'm chemically still manic. And and it takes her uh, about three months of interview of, of us meeting where she finally says, I think you might have bipolar disorder. And I said, I think you're crazy, you know, Yeah. because... I'm not sick. I'm not the sick one. I just happen to have a problem, mm-hmm. but I'm not the sick one. You are, if anybody's the sick one. Mm-hmm. And so we went back and forth and I'm arguing with her that I don't have bipolar. And I honestly have no idea what it is.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah.
1: I, don't, I don't have it. Yeah. Whatever it is, I don't have it. But she just asked, we, we make a little friendly bet and she goes i beg you do would you just go see this doctor for me just do mm-hmm. me a favor so i went and saw him, and through a whole wild adventure to get to see the doctor um i end up being getting lost and and trying to flag down cars to help me find this place and i'm right? out of my mind my hair's yeah. freaking straight up i'm going down the wrong side of the road i'm literally in the road mm-hmm. and finally a uh, a cop pulls me over on on the side of the road and says, what are you doing? And I said, I need to go to this place, but I'm late, and he's not going to see me. And the, and the cop goes, hop in the car. He'll be seeing you, and he'll be seeing you right now. <laughs> and so yeah. he drove me to it. And then I get to the doctor's office, and the doctor looks out the window and goes, are you just brought here by a cop? And I tell him my my story about how I got chauffeured there, and then I and then I let him know I'm on an antidepressant, and within minutes he knows the diagnosis, bipolar one, and and so he stops me after about ten minutes of what probably is normally about an hour long interview, and says I've heard enough. You're out of your. He literally says you're out of your mind. You have bipolar one, the most severe type, or he he classified it as a severe type of bipolar one and said, you need to be medicated and you need to get off the antidepressant. Mm -hmm. And so it took me back because I still didn't know what bipolar was. Mm -hmm. It's not like he explained it. You know, unfortunately, the the psychiatrists don't have time to explain it to us, right? They don't have a time for explanation anymore. They just do the meds, Mm -hmm. the med review. So I'm still walking out the door, not knowing what the heck I have, other than he gave me four prescriptions. And Mm -hmm. he says, let's see if these work. And I'm like, let's see if these work. How about I get a different opinion? <laughs> I'm going to get a doctor that knows what's going to work. Mm-hmm. So I leave there and I go see the psychologist who I lost my bet to. Yeah. And she says, I told you. And then I started to um, take the meds. And really what happened, what, what helped me the most, Nicole, was that I, I somehow got this notion that I needed to learn everything I possibly can about this illness mm-hmm. in order to manage it. And so I absorbed myself in every book about bipolar disorder. Every Everything I did was around learning until I could dig myself out of this hole and get myself out of this cabin and get myself back a real job. And so that, had, that was my experience with getting diagnosed.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for me... I had done the research and I kind of thought, oh, this, I think this is what I have. And I didn't expect when I got the diagnosis that I would be so resistant to it because I walked in kind of thinking this is what I, this is what I have. But it's its a hard diagnosis because I feel like in the world of mental health, people are kind of... They've had some kind of experience, whether it's situational or otherwise, with depression and anxiety. But then right. you go to something like bipolar disorder, and most people, their frame of reference, are celebrities who've had these really famous mania episodes and just crash and burn. Right. right. And so it's it's a really hard thing for for me, it was a very hard thing to understand myself, but then everybody else thinks that I, you know, like, that's my experience. And,
1: and you're Britney Spears or right. you're Charlie Sheen, right? Yes, right?
0: yes. Yes, for sure. For sure.
1: And they, they, they all have that image in mm-hmm. their mind, you know, and that's why people will say, I remember having lunch with some work friends and this pilot had done something weird. And I forget what it was, but I remember one of the one when my friends said the pilot went bipolar,
2: mm. and, I, and
1: and that was way before I told anybody about my right. bipolar, right? Because you don't you don't tell people because that's their impression,
0: exactly. And so and, there's like there's this shame and stigma around it because you don't feel oh like you gosh. can you can talk about it.
1: <laughs> you can't, and you can't explain it. Yeah, you know nobody's going to sit with you long enough to explain it. Right, and it's and it's too hard to understand it that's why i I did write a book about it about my whole experience with mania that really explains it very well Mm -hmm. but i got tired of people not understanding it so i decided to write a book and say read read the book just read read the book read the
0: book and get off my back
1: (laughs) (laughs) quit calling me crazy i'm not charlie sheen
0: right (laughs) so so let's talk about medication Mm Hmm. Because a lot of us, we have a love-hate relationship with the medication. Mm -hmm. We know that we need it, but it's also hard to think, okay, I'm going to be on medication the rest of my life. And the process of finding the right dose of meds is often enough to put us off of meds, period. So tell me a little bit about your journey to kind of finding that right cocktail.
1: Oh my gosh, it was quite a journey. And the thing that locked me into it was that I discovered that if I got well, I would be able to see my kids. Mm. I was, I was, I had a parenting plan where I needed to be supervised where I didn't need mm-hmm. to be, but my ex-wife made it. So I was supervised. Right. And I, I thought if I, if I get these meds, right, I can get, I can get a court to mm-hmm. to, to dismiss that. So They were my get to see my kid meds, you know, not my bipolar meds anymore. And I was like damned and determined to find that combination. Mm -hmm. And and I went through dozens, dozens of cocktails before I found the right one. But I was motivated where most of us, man, when they don't work, Mm -hmm. we just quit. We quit the meds. And that makes sense because if, 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 if you had a cold and a doctor gave you uh, a cold medicine and you weren't getting any better, you just quit taking the cold medicine, right? Yep. (laughs) It's just the medical model that we've all Mm -hmm. been taught, you know, and then, and then the other part of that model, which is, which is the insidious part about bipolar is the part that teaches us that when we do get better. Mm-hmm. We stopped taking the meds. Oh yep,
0: because we're fine now.
1: Because we're fine now. Yeah. yeah, you don't take cold meds when you're fine. Yeah. So we don't take our bipolar meds when we're fine until we have another another lapse, another mm-hmm. problem. So it was really elusive, but I was motivated by this need to see my children. Had I had I not had that motivation, I, I don't know if I would have given or, or I would have given up. After two or three tries, mm-hmm. it's really hard. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's a wild illness because it's an illness that makes it so hard to treat. Mm-hmm. I now understand the doctor saying, "Try these four meds, and we'll see, see if they if work." Works.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: I'm like, "Where's the insulin for this?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just want to yeah. take one med. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I love that you framed it as these are my get to see my kids meds. For me, they were, I get to build my business meds. They were my entrepreneurship meds. But I, a lot of the time, I feel like we almost need somebody outside of us helping us to see what why we need to take the meds. You know, there are those difficult conversations we have with our partners or with our parents, and they say, you have to take the meds. And you're like, but I'm fine. I don't need the meds. And I know that that's part of the important work that you do. So let's kind of talk about that conversation.
1: Okay, sure. That's how the conversation normally goes. I don't need the meds. Mom, get off my back. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad are like, you need meds. You're out of your mind. You just did this and this and this. And the son or daughter is saying, I'm not sick. Mm -hmm. I don't need meds. And so I learned about um, this whole thing through a doctor, Amador. He wrote a book called, I Am Not Sick. I Don't Need Help. Mm -hmm. And Doctor Amador is very, pretty famous in the mental health space. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I became certified to teach his program. By him, mm-hmm. so he taught me how to have that conversation. So here's how it would go: mm-hmm. it would go something more like, first of all, you'd have to build a good relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that means you you're, you're off his case for a while, right? And then eventually you get to the point where you say, "Is there anything that you want in your life that you just can't seem to get?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like a job, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, money, an apartment, a car." Mm -hmm. Anything, anything at all, it just seems to just elude you. And then and then you try to focus on that goal. And in motivational interviewing, that's called what land. The goal Mm -hmm. is what land. And then you move to why land. You know, why do you want that? How badly do you want it? And you and, and and you ask reflective questions around that goal. And then you move to what how how land, how to get to it. And then you 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 just introduce this notion that maybe just maybe crazy thought I had that maybe those bipolar meds would get you a job Mm -hmm. and, and I'll never call you bipolar again. I'm not, we're not going to talk about bipolar anymore. We're going to talk about your job meds. Why don't we just experiment for three, six months on a couple of meds to see if that helps you get your, whatever it is, your Mm -hmm. goal. And I've had that conversation so many times with people, and, I, and I've taught parents how to out of the conversation, and they come back to me and they say, he he wants a job, and he and and he calls them his job meds now, and he's taking them, mm-hmm. and he's taking them on his own, on his mm-hmm. own, because it's his own goal, it's his own what. Right. You have to discuss, you can't say, I want you to take the meds because I think you'll be able to get a job when... They, The guy might not even want a job, right? Mm -hmm. So, who cares? So, it has to be something they're strongly motivated to do. But that's how I teach parents how to have that conversation. It takes about 12 weeks of one on ones for an hour a week. And we work on just how to be very respectful of the individual's own journey through life. And throw our agenda away. Our agenda has to be, we just want to help him or her get what they want mm-hmm. in life. How can mm-hmm. I help you get that? And if the meds, and I, uh, and, and I always tell them too, I said, you could tell the story of me. You can say, I met this guy, I heard this guy talk. And he said, I, I honestly say, if they would have said, I got to snort a horse pill mm-hmm. three times a day and I'll get to see my kids mm-hmm. unsupervised. Okay. Might have done it, right? Right? Yeah. So, so that's kind of how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little different, isn't it? Yeah. That approach. Yeah. uh I get to see my kid meds, yeah. or I get a job meds. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it it makes so much sense. You know, in entrepreneurship, we talk about a lot about figure out why you're doing what you're doing, why you're building the business, like what's the deeper meaning to it? Because it's it's not yeah. really about making money hand over fist. It's about I want to be able to travel or I want to be able to, you know, reach this goal or do this thing. And so it makes so much sense that when we're talking about those kinds of medical decisions, that if we understand why we're doing something, we're more motivated to actually follow through with it.
1: Yes, yes. And 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 then we start to see results. As you know, as an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, you start to see results. You do a marketing campaign, you see results, mm-hmm. and you repeat it. You're going to mm-hmm. keep doing it when you see the results. And uh, for the most part, I've seen people get the things that they want to get through taking medication. Mm-hmm. And... And I have people text me all the time, Bob, you taking your kids' meds? You know, I got my yeah. my clients asking me if I'm taking my meds. Yeah. They're checking in on me. Oh yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'll, 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 you, John, you're taking your job meds. You still yeah. got your job? You're taking your meds, way to go.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I got people there I have people that are doing all kinds of jobs that they would never be able to do off of their meds. Mm-hmm. And keeping their job for years, you know that mm-hmm. they would never have kept off mm-hmm. the meds. So it's yeah. kind of fun. It's kind of fun. It's 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 fun to see it work.
0: Yeah. 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 So let's talk about the day to day navigation of what it looks like to live with bipolar
2: mm-hmm. you know
0: when you're on the meds i think some people think well if i just get the right meds it's all over It's like well no right. you now have thousands of hours of therapy in front of you right?
1: <laughs> you could right. right i've had 700 hours yeah i, I got like an odometer that i like checked yeah it's got 700 on it. Yeah, yeah, but go ahead. You were saying.
0: No, I would I would just love to hear, you know, on a daily basis, what does it look like to navigate bipolar for you?
1: hmm. Yeah. And on a, on a daily basis, you're absolutely right. The meds get you to a place where you have a chance.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then then you got to do some work, you know, and I love your whole boonie preneur. Mm-hmm. concept of how i have to spoon out my energy mm-hmm. in a certain way otherwise i i i get sick mm-hmm. uh, i'll be sick. so i have to navigate a lot through therapy i do therapy once a week and um and it gets to a point where you're starting to just talk about how to be well you know you're not mm-hmm talking so much about what your dad did anymore you know that's right. all in the past that was the first hundred hours now the right. last 600 hours has been <laughs> how to stay well yeah and then uh, and then the coping skills you know that we talk about the strategies whatever they might be mm-hmm. like for me sleep is really important and for most people that i know with bipolar if they don't get enough sleep then the illness yep. overtakes the meds and everything nothing works without enough sleep so i'm i'm pretty pretty adamant about getting enough sleep and also i try to avoid stress i know a lot of us can't avoid it entirely but when i make decisions um, like i don't have two coaching clients back to back Mm -hmm. for example it's too much it's too much for my little brain i need to go spend an hour decompressing for a while Mm -hmm. and um i I just try to be reasonable with my goals and expectations so i don't build a whole lot of stress around my life Mm -hmm. and but i always say um you know every morning i wake up and i gotta kick bipolar bob's ass put him under my foot and yeah. drag him around all day long. Mm-hmm. I just can't kick his ass and then leave, right? Because that son of a gun is going to get up and it's going to cause all kinds of problems. Yeah. So I got to beat him down with my meds, my therapy, and my coping skills. Keep him underfoot, and you just learn how to do that. And you and and that just becomes the norm.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think one right. thing I didn't, one thing that I didn't um, anticipate was that my coping skills would shift you know, something that works, you know, for a while, then I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's not really working in the same way. But this seems to be working really well. I think sometimes we get in that black and white thinking of, oh, I need to meditate every day. Right. You know, I need to do this every day. I need to do that every day. And I think it's okay to have a toolbox of coping skills and you pull what works what you need that day. And I think that that's that's something I definitely had to learn through trial and error.
1: You did. Oh, I'm glad you learned that. That is so true, isn't it? Yeah. I teach people a wellness plan where we actually use that word a toolbox mm-hmm. in a program called Wrap, and and um, and I definitely make sure that they have a whole variety of things to choose from because you're right. There's sometimes when you know, like one of like I, I do mindfulness, but I do it in a weird way. I love to play golf. So I'll go practice golf for hours because that golf ball doesn't care about what I'm thinking about. (laughs) It does not. It's not going to move on its own, and it doesn't care what is going on in my little ruminating brain. Mm -hmm. It just it it requires a certain thing to happen. So then I just find myself for hours just thinking about everything I need to do to make that golf ball go, Mm -hmm. and I find I give myself a break. Right. Yep. You give yourself that break from all the ruminating crap that you got going on. Yep. When you don't have it preoccupied. But then there's sometimes when I just get tired of golf and I got to go do something else, yep. you know, something else to preoccupy myself. So I have a whole bunch of stuff in my toolbox. That's an mm-hmm. excellent way to put it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, Bob, what question have I not asked you that I should have?
1: Um, I think one of the things that, I love to talk about is that I i love to say, and if you would ask me, do you think people can be well with bipolar? Can mm-hmm. they live a good life with bipolar? Mm-hmm. I always answer that question, yeah, with you know, probably ninety-six percent of us can yep. really live a great life with bipolar. We have to figure out the big three. For me, the big three are meds. Uh, therapy and coping skills. Mm-hmm. That's my three-legged chair,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, stool, and that keeps me going. Um, and I think unless you're just awfully med-resistant and you're and and therapy doesn't work, and you know, there's a small percentage where they really, really struggle, and I feel really sad about them. But I think the vast majority, and just about everybody I've ever worked with. Has been able to go on and mm-hmm. live a great life. So I I would say to that question, absolutely yes, you can live a good life with bipolar.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. When I got those three things under wraps, it was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah. Uh, bring it now. Bring it life. Yeah, bring it up. Here, here I come. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody get out of my way because I'm making some progress now.
0: Right. So, Bob, if people want to learn more about your book or they want to hear more about the work you're doing in the world, how can they find you?
1: Yeah, the best place they can go look is on. um, I just started a Facebook group where I'm trying to um, uh, put together a lot of information in there for parents who are struggling with a child. An adult child that won't take their meds mm-hmm. so i call it it's called beating bipolar mm-hmm. it's a group for parents and they can find out on facebook and and in there i do a weekly webinar or weekly facebook live where we actually do role playing too mm-hmm. so if a parent wants to get on with me and have that conversation like, yeah like we talked about earlier, we do it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the best way. They can also look for my book on Amazon. It's called When Screams Become Whispers. Because mm-hmm. I used to be a screaming maniac <laughs> with, mm-hmm. my me- with my, my illness. Mm-hmm. And now I'm more calm and relaxed. When Screams Become Whispers, it's on Amazon. They can pre-order it now. It'll be released in June. Wonderful. Yeah, that's how people can get a hold of me. I appreciate awesome. you asking.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today.
1: It's been a lot of fun for me. I hope it's been for you. Absolutely. (laughs) I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Spooniepreneur podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends and don't forget to rate and review it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're looking to build a business that runs on word of mouth referrals and who doesn't head on over to www.resilientbusinesstoolkit to check out my free masterclass teaching you to build a marketing plan that drives word of mouth referrals into your inbox every month. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next week.